Today, we come to the end of our series in Mark, and uh, it's been over a year uh, walking through the book of the Gospel of Mark. And now, I, I got to let you know of one thing. If you look in your Bibles, you'll look, we're going to cover one through eight today. But oftentimes, especially in newer translation, if you look at verse in between verse eight and nine, you're going to find that most times it's going to say something like this. The following verses aren't found in the earliest manuscripts. And, and so there's some debate as to whether that... Um, that frankly whether those verses should be included now scholars would also say this is that the truths that are in there in that, those section those verses through the end of the chapter they're taught other places so we don't d- diminish them in one sense but there is a debate as to whether they really were originally part of the original uh, bible when they when it put it together and some of the translations, you know, you understand they find new manuscripts that are older and they got to kind of weigh as to what really was in the scriptures early on. Uh, but we're also going to start a new series here next week and it's titled Leave Room and uh, just an opportunity to focus on Christmas, moving toward Christmas. And, uh, but, it's, but it's a great ending here, the cross and the, the tomb here that we're going to focus on today uh, in that. But I want to begin by beginning with a little video, and it's words that you're just going to need to read, and I, and I think it's pretty self-explanatory. So Cody, you want to go ahead and play that video. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you fell face first into doubt? Doubt. Was it this morning on the way to church? Was it last night, a week ago, a month ago, maybe a year ago? Now now understand this, that word doubt, there's a a word that I think is married to the word doubt, and it's the word fear. They're kind of a husband-wife team, those two words. But the reality is that that video, that short video, really is the tip of the iceberg in terms of questions that we could ask in terms that really push us toward doubt. Because I think if we're honest, I think we all come to those places where there's certain doubts about what are we doing, where should we be going, or what's happening in my life, and it raises those concerns and doubt and fear can come in at any moment. And there's certain events in our lives, I th- think back to certain events and where they almost still feel like yesterday, where an event can overwhelm us and push us to doubt and fear. Let me read you the text today, and I want to connect this passage of Christ leaving the grave being raised again as the answer for doubt. Let's read the text. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. Look how it begins. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? 
And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go and tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now one of the things that you do when you look at Scripture is sometimes it really helps to put yourself back into their shoes. So think of these women at this point. They had just watched Jesus being beaten and crucified. And out of their love, they they wanted to do something, so on Saturday they buy some perfume and some spices, and they wanted to put those spices over the sprinklet, over the top of the body of Jesus. And it wouldn't smell so bad as it started to de- decompose. Now, understand, again, this, they were doing it, this started here that we read on Sunday morning. Now, you have to realize, though, that Friday night is really when, when uh, Jesus had been crucified. And they weren't supposed to do anything on a Sabbath. And Sabbath didn't end until Saturday at 6, so it would have been too dark. So they got up very early on Sunday morning and they head to the tomb, but they realize that there's a problem. And the problem is this. How in the world are we going to roll back that big stone away from the tomb? One of the issues. But I I need to go back and just give you a few more details. Recognize Mark is one of the shorter Gospels that we have, the shortest of all of the Gospels. But I want to just give you a few pieces that kind of fit here with this as well that the other Gospels fill, uh, fill in for us. First of all, Matthew tells us that the Pharisees had gone to Pilate. They were concerned somebody was going to come and steal the body. So they go to Pilate and they actually order some guards to stand guard at the tomb. But then they also put a seal where the stone was up next to the stone. There was this some kind of a wax seal that they did make sure that they could tell if somebody tried to break in and steal that body. But Matthew also reveals another piece. There was an earthquake early in the morning. And that occurred, and it was during that time, just after the earthquake, where Jesus, or God the Father, sent an angel to roll back the stone from the tomb there. So when the women arrived at the tomb, what it, one of the other Gospels points out, there's an angel sitting on top of this big rock, and he speaks to them as they come up to the tomb. And he tells the women, hey, enter the tomb. And they entered, and there they find another man, or it would have been an angel. And he's clothed in a white robe, and he's sitting next to where the body should have laid. Now here's where Mark tells us that the women um, were called to inform, and it points out, especially Peter. Remember, go tell the disciples in Peter what has happened, that Jesus has risen. 
And now understand what they do is they run out, but then what Mark doesn't reveal is they run to Peter and John, and Peter and John run back to the tomb, and they jump in and go inside, and they get to see the linens, the, the cloths that Jesus was wrapped in. And actually see where off the where the one where the, the clothes cloths around the head would was wrapped in a real neat pile where the head would have been. See, that's some other pieces that we're going to weave in here as well. But beyond the specific details of the empty tomb here, I, I gotta point something out at this point. Because Satan was still at work. Satan wanted to minimize this event of an empty tomb. Matter of fact, I want to show you how he was working and how he's still working. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 11. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard, and this would have been the guards that were guarding the tomb, some of those, went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. They had seen the angel. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said to them, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep him out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Do you catch that? This is Satan's long-term attempt to throw doubt on the critical doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now here's where we got to realize, you go, is it working? The answer is yes, it is. I don't know if you realize that Barna took a poll back in 2000 and he went to clergy around the country and he surveyed clergy as to whether they believe if the resurrection actually happened. And what they found, in the mainline churches right now of today, 33% of the pastors do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, in the Church of England, they surveyed over there as well. And a third of them do not believe in the resurrection, and 50% do not believe in a virgin birth. That it's just a fable, it's just a story. Do you understand what Satan wants to do? He wants to minimize, and he wants the people to dismiss the idea that Jesus rose from the dead. And that the grave is now empty. And an issue with us, even in our day. But here's where we got to dig a little bit more and even put ourselves again in the shoes of these women. And because we need to ponder what was going on in their mind. And one of the ways we can do it is to for, kind of put ourselves into their shoes, but think back one day. What would a Friday been like for these women and the 11 men, the disciples? Would not that, or I'm sorry, not Friday, but Saturday, would not Saturday have been the darkest day of their lives? Jesus was dead. He was in the tomb. Shattered hopes. I'm convinced there were dreams that they had. Remember, Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven was coming. 
And they would have things that were going through their mind is this. We followed a guy for three and a half years. He was going to usher in the kingdom of heaven. And we saw him beaten and crucified. And now what? Do you catch where I think doubt was just overwhelming these women and these men? There just was no hope left on that Saturday. See, every act on that Saturday must have tortured them. Thinking, expressing, were they, did they gather together? And they suspect some did, but I think they would be going stuff. What's the use? Three and a half years, we wasted it on following this guy. And then on top of that, I think there's another piece here we don't catch. If we think back a couple weeks ago when Steve taught this issue of Peter's betrayal, understand when he betrayed him, one of the reasons that he shrunk back into the shadows, he feared for his own safety, his own life. And I suspect those disciples in particular, they were cowering together and waiting for somebody to knock on the door and say, you're next. See, that was what's going through the mind of these men and these women. The challenges of doubt and fear. And would the religious elite come with soldiers and arrest us as well? But here's where we need to transplant this to 2016. See, the reality is that we live in a world that's broken. Fear, doubt, spiritual doubt. a matter of fact, you can, I could guarantee it that within the city, the, our surrounding area, there's f- people filled with the issue of hopelessness. See, one doesn't have to look very long when you see addiction. You see people trapped in poverty. You see people trapped in generational sin, generation after generation after generation. You see marriages that are breaking up and going bad. Even within churches like ours, kids are walking away from Christ. They're getting into trouble and issues. And and parents, what happens at that point is fear comes in, doubt comes in, questions are raised. Even if you think of physical pain that's with us. Some here in this room, I know for a fact, you're burdened by physical pain. It just won't go away. You know, thinking of working with families and marriages and the brokenness of our lives, you go, no wonder there's doubt and there's fear that people are trapped in every day. But here's one of the realities. Just attending a church like ours doesn't necessarily mean that the doubt's going to leave and the fear is going to go away. See, hopelessness and meaningless can be crushing in on us at any point in any time. Even the pressure, folks, of the holidays. Tom mentioned that we're starting a season, but do you realize that alcohol use goes up? Drug use goes up during this time of the year? And people that struggle with depression that's kicked into overtime... 
That's the reality of even a season where relationships are broken and people are struggling with life and all of the things that go on just with the holidays. So people look to the future and they say, is there any hope? But i got to say this. This text, the grave being empty, is the reason for our hope. Let me, if you're following along in the bulletin outline there, I, I said it this way, really the main point for today and then a couple subpoints. I said it this, God calls the church, that's us, that's not the building, that's the people, to be people of hope. Why? Because the tomb is empty. See, that's the reality. We have hope because we have an empty tomb. Hope is the opposite of doubt and fear. And the reality is that hope is deeply connected. I think it's cemented to the idea of an empty tomb. And the amazing thing, though, about this account is that when you fast forward, you understand it was years and years ahead that they recorded the words that they wrote to us in the Gospels. And if you look forward, they had hope. The current was despair, especially that Saturday. So at the time they were writing, something had changed. And that was an empty tomb and the work of God in their lives. But when they wrote these scriptures, hope had swallowed up doubt and fear and despair. But let me give you a couple sub-points of application as well, just for this morning. The next one there on your notes, I said it this way. God wasn't done fulfilling his plan. He's still working behind the scenes. Mark records in this brief incident of the women coming to the tomb. And I don't know if you realize this, it began to change the women That morning they got up early before the sun was coming up and they were walking to the tomb and the experience of what they were going to go through changed them. It gave them hope. And the first point is is this. God was working and he showed up and they show up to the tomb and they were worried about the tomb being open. How do they get that thing open? And it's open. Matter of fact, I want to show you a picture. I don't know if anybody's been to Israel here. But the fact is, this is on one of the tours you can take. Now, they don't believe this. This is the actual tomb. It's actually called, um, let's see, what is it called? The Garden Tomb. And they think that this is a representation of what maybe the tomb looked like for Jesus. And if you notice down there, in the, they actually unearthed this, by the way, in 1867. But on the bottom there, you'll see that line of blocks that are kind of wrong. Well, there's, on the inside, there's a little ledge there. And there would have been a big stone that they would have rolled that would have kept the stone, that stone from pulling, uh, slipping out to the, to the rest of the open area there. But, but as they look at this, the, the doorway is almost, you could duck in and walk into it. You could almost stand up in a tomb like this. And the reality is of this, if this is a similar um, representation of it, the stone they believe that would have been used to cover that door would have weighed about 1,000 pounds. 
Do you understand why the ladies walking to that grave were going, how in the world are we going to get that, that stone rolled away to put on the spices? You catch, it was an act of grace. It was an act of grace that opened the tomb for the women to go in and see. But, but you understand your concern. So they go into the tomb, and all of a sudden they arrive and they see this man. And, and you realize that all of a sudden they tell him, God, folks, God was not taking a nap this weekend. The angel had rolled back the stone. There's a man sitting inside of it, inside the tomb, and the body is gone. Let, let me just back up, though. I want to read something from Matthew 28. I, I don't have it on the screen. Here's what it, he says about the tomb being opened. This is the angel that had opened it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So when the angel came to open up there, the guards saw it and they fainted. And a little bit later, they scurry off into the darkness and because of fear, they run away. And then the ladies come and they walk in and here's a man telling them that Jesus had risen. And they see the grave clothes that were laying there. It's like they were still wrapped on a body, but they were just down. And then the head, it tell, the Gospels tells us they were wrapped up in a little nice, uh, the ones on the head were wrapped up in a little square, and they were just sitting up where the head should have been. It was another act of grace for these women. It was another act of grace. And I've got to point this out. The stone didn't need to get rolled away for Jesus. I, I think we forget that. We kind of teach your kids that in Sunday school. The stone was rolled away and then Jesus came out. Folks, Jesus didn't need the stone to be rolled away to be resurrected. Who needed it? It was the women. Us. Even symbolically to realize that we have an empty grave. But here's where people keep fighting it. And, and the skeptics want to fight the idea that Jesus really did rise from the dead. It's been going on for the last 21 centuries. Satan continues to raise up skeptics generation after generation and saying, this isn't a miracle. It was fake. I don't know if you know some of the things that they say about this, and just from a very surface level, just one of them is they said, ah, Jesus' friends took him. And you go, wait a second, what about the guards? Wait about the seal? What about that? And the multiple witnesses to it? But people have actually have added a second argument in trying to dismiss this idea, and that, well, Jesus' enemies came and took it. And you go, come on. Why would an enemy come and take it? They would actually produce the body just to prove that he wasn't the Messiah. So that's just, that just doesn't make sense. See, the testimony, folks, is so direct in the scriptures. 
There's so many pieces of history that write down about this resurrection that we can be certain that Jesus did rise from the dead. The stone was gone. The body was gone. Matter of fact, look at verse 6, how God is still ministering to the women. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. See the comfort in that? Who was crucified. He has risen. If they had a little hope meter, it was going up. He's risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. He shows the empty spot where Jesus had laid. Do you ever wonder about this conversation? See, the other Gospels tell us that then all of a sudden the women, they left. Well, it says here in Mark that they were kind of afraid and concerned and astonished. But here's what they do. They leave it and they run and they tell Peter and John. And Peter and John then come running back again to the tomb. And they go in and they see the spot where the wraps were all in place except nobody. And they were becoming convinced maybe Jesus did say what he told us he was going to do. Now, one other skeptic, some skeptics in terms of this issue of the resurrection, some people want to say this, the ladies went to the wrong tomb. Now, again, history and actually the scriptures actually debunks this as well. Matter of fact, back in Mark 15, it says this, is that the ladies were watching where Joseph of Arimathea had actually laid the body. They didn't get it wrong. They went to the right tomb. God was working. Christ had been resurrected. Guys, put Saturday behind you. I think hope was just rising in their hearts. But, but the purpose was more than just feeling good. See that angel there, go tell. Go tell. I don't know if you realize, it's a foreshadowing, really, of the Great Commission. Go tell others, what? That Jesus had risen. But look at verse 7. I'll put it on the screen here. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now here's where on that statement, I also need to bring in another sub-point to this issue. In this command, it involves Peter. He uses specifically the word Peter here. But let me give you the application, and then I'll explain it here. For your notes, I'll set it this way. Even though we fail, Jesus is not done using us for his own purposes. Even though we fail, God wants to bring us back into the game. Well, let me explain why I said it that way. When we blow it, oftentimes people will want to do this. You know what? I can't, I can't serve God. I, I'm going to go off to the side and crawl back up in the stands. I'm going to quit playing the game of discipleship. And you realize that was never God's intent. He wants to bring us back down in the field. If you feel that way, he wants to use you. He wants to push back at your doubt and your fear. And how do I know this? It's because of this issue of Peter here. 
When was the last time that Peter was mentioned in Mark? Before this? You remember? He was in the courtyard of the high priest, shrinking back at the fire, trying to hide from what was going on. Matter of fact, I want to read it. Look at Mark chapter 14, verse 69. And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the, to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he, meaning Peter, he denied it. And after a little while, by the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Folks, Peter went into the darkness at that point, And it says he wept bitterly. This was a point of an epic failure for Peter. But by the angel telling the women, go tell Peter. It was an act of grace of beginning to restore Peter, even though he had failed so miserably. Go tell these women. Make sure that you that Peter knows this. Peter needs to see this. It was a way of Christ going, Peter, I'm not done with you yet. See, the reality is for us here, have you ever done something where you go, oh, I've been disqualified from serving him? Listen, if you've accepted Christ as Savior, we all stand equal in front of God. He wants to use us, and he's gentle, and he's patient. Yes, is he waiting for us to repent? And we get stuck into sin, maybe to keep repenting sometime. But he wants us to turn and run to him and say, use me for your kingdom. And guess who runs to the tomb? Peter. And I can't help but wonder if there was a conversation because as Mary came back and all of a sudden did they have this conversation, did the, did the angel actually say my name? Did he single me out? See, Peter moved from running away from the game up into the stands as far as he could go away, and then all of a sudden God is inviting him, no, Peter, I want you to come down. I want you to get in the game again. Do we catch the importance of this story? It, it, it's, it's The grave is empty. And God is still working. He's still in control. He's still changing people. He's changing these women who are going to the grave. He's changing the disciples who are going into and figuring out, okay, maybe he did really resurrect himself. See, the validity, folks, though, of this story is so critical for us. The empty tomb, it is the cornerstone of hope. It's the cornerstone to move away from fear. It's the cornerstone of why we meet together on a Sunday morning. It's why we gather at the church. It's why we sing. It's why we worship. It's why we serve. You see, the challenge 
if the grave, if it didn't happen, we're in trouble. Matter of fact, Paul figured that out. I want to show you something from 1 Corinthians 15. Because he knows it. The resurrection, if it's not real, something's wrong. Look at how he writes it, verse 14. And if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Folks, if we don't have an empty tomb, if there was no resurrection of Jesus, we would still be judged for our own sins. The wrath of God would still be on us. Do you see why we must embrace an empty tomb? We must be certain that it was God at work. And then because of that, he's not done with us yet. So are you discouraged? You know what the answer is? An empty tomb? Are you hurting in some area of your life? What's the focus? Jesus is risen. Do you see the faith that he calls us to? That we have an empty tomb. That the summary of God's plan is that his son would be raised from the dead. And how do we deal with this still, the turmoil in our lives? Discouragement at times. Well, here's where I still think we still got to come back to the empty tomb. And I want to end with this passage. From 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a book on suffering, by the way. Because we think that when God works in our lives, somehow he's got to get rid of the suffering. And I go, "Mm, no, that's not true. But look what 1 Peter, I'm going to read from the message. It really gives a, a, a great flavor. Look how it goes. What a God we have. And how fortunate we are to have him, this father of our master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we have been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future, I like this, starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. It might be in the future, but he's starting it now for us. Look at verse 6 and 7. I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Pure gold put in the fire comes out of it proved pure. Genuine faith put through this suffering, catch that, comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence 
of his victory. See, the suffering that we're going through even now that we can have in this world, because the grave is empty, there will be a day when it's going to come to an end. But in the meantime, what he's doing, even in the suffering, he's causing and inviting us to grow our faith, to trust more in an empty tomb, to say, God, you're good in the midst of hard things in my life. God, we trust you, and we walk by faith, knowing that because you raised your son from the dead, that one day it's going to end. And we're going to be with him. Pain's going to be gone. The struggles are going to be gone. And folks, no more doubt. No more doubt. The good news, the grave is empty. Base your faith on an empty tomb. Because the Father raised the Son. Gave him life and therefore he's going to change us. Amen. Let's stand and pray.